Welcome back to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for the book of Boba Fett. Next time, don't touch my buttons. Welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for the book of Boba Fett, Chapter 4, titled The Gathering Storm, directed by Kevin Tancherion. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before our guts are replaced by droid parts, uh, let me introduce you to the scum and villainy joining us today. First up... He's a junkyard Jawa who's jonesing for more Django. He's Justin Lawrence. Yeah, and I'm spitting that dank, yo. What's going on? Spitting that dank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And joining us from the cantina across the street, sometimes he's saltier than a sarlacc on the sands of Tatooine. He's Kevin, the Clatoonian wonderkind Hudson. Not so salty today. I'm I'm happy to... Uh, that we're getting joined by a bigger group, you know, uh, as Boba says, you can only get so far without a tribe. That's true, dude. That's true. And we got our bigger group back again, just like Boba, I think, tried to do in this episode. And we, we, he was also joined by some Clatoonians. So you're, uh, you know, you're right, you're right in the right spot there, Kevin. Uh, and last but certainly not least, he's hairier than a Wookiee, but he ain't no Star Wars rookie. We have the dankest dude on Dagobah, Darcy Dank Ferrick Hudson. Yep, I'm back. Good episode to talk about. Let's go. There we go. Yeah, it's it was uh, at least better than last week, Darcy. Before we started recording, you just like were freaking out. Well, I just want to make it just... clear that I do not like the 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 placement of the mod mod kids in their scooters on Tatooine. Seems yeah. more of a chorus on thing to me. Yeah. Right? I heard, I heard you guys. I heard you guys uh, reference it in the podcast. But yeah, it was the it was the Spy Kids episode. Uh, that, yes. last, that, that last action scene was something that felt like it was straight out of Spy Kids, and, and I and I don't mean I don't mean that in the sense of it just being because it was Robert Rodriguez that directed it. It just felt really childish, yes. right? And it felt very out of place and super forced. So we want weird Star Wars, but we don't want that kind of weird. Like that's that's the wrong kind of weird. So it's not even uh, weird. Listen, <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, let's dive back into the Sarlacc pit. Uh, so the episode starts off with yet another flash back to as we see Boba Fett riding his bantha and surveying Bib Fortuna's palace, where he realizes there are just too many guards to get past uh, by all of them himself. Luckily for him, after he shares a meal with his bantha over a, over a warm fire, uh, he sees off in the distance a bright white flare go off. He approaches a passed out Fennec Shand, and we get the scene from the Mandalorian episode, uh, f- I think it's five, season one, uh, but this time from his perspective. He scoops her up and sees she needs medical attention, so he brings her to a mod parlor where the master modder fixes her up after a little financial coercing from Boba. So guys, what did you think of this opener, and uh, did you expect to see musician Stephen Thundercat Bruner (laughs) in a cameo here (laughs) as this cyberpunk mod master? What did you guys think? I I thought it was interesting that they were giving such emphasis on the character, because I was like, oh, is this going to be a reveal? And then when he turned around, I was like... I don't know who you are. Um, right. So <laughs> I felt bad, but it, 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 it obviously felt very purposeful. Um, 
But yeah, I liked I liked the cyberpunk scene. Yeah. Well, the one thing that's really cool, and Darcy, you were kind of saying this offline, uh, and maybe they're not necessarily handling it well, but it just it, I like that Lucasfilm is kind of dipping into the comics to pull in elements into this series, which just shows that there's just there's there's a pool for them to kind of start bringing things over. And we're already seeing that with the introduction of uh, Black Asantin. Black Cursantin. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so see, introducing mods in this like sort of cyborg style. I, I, it's interesting. It, that, that place felt like a tattoo shop. And yes. I like how I like how they're positioning like this modding and cyborg style around like a younger generation. Like, yeah. you know, making it feel like it's, you know, super dated. Even the line that they throw in there, like, aren't you a little old to be in here? Like, I was just like, <laughs> right. OK, it's <laughs> really on the nose. And they're, they're looked at as like rebels or like how Lorth Appeal was like the insolent, insolent youths or yes. whatever. Right. Yeah, in yeah. the last episode. But like, I don't know, man, like I, I could. I, I could see this scene being very divisive for mm. older Star Wars fans, right? Yep. Very cyberpunk-esque. Um, I love the idea that it, they did sort of make it more like a, a tattoo shop. I thought the music in this scene also was was pretty dope. Um, I did some digging. Um, and yes, uh, Steven Thundercat Bruner is a musician. Um, and he... I, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did the music for I think this, I think very, he did. It felt it, very... Guitar, psychedelic, well, <laughs> electronica, and that's apparently the kind of music he makes. Well, so. yeah, it had it had a very. I, I wrote it down as a uh, cyber cyberpunk esque with that sort of Matrix style hacker techno kind of thrown <laughs> yeah. in there, right? Like you know, like yeah. just very mishmashy, and it 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 worked. It actually worked f- for me, at least. I, I think you're right, though. I think it's something that's going to leave Star Wars fans a little divisive. Yeah, well, I just think it's funny. It's like you're talking about those older Star Wars fans, and their first intro- introduction to a modded human would have been Lobo. Uh, I mean, mm. like uh, Lando's partner there in Cloud City. So to see that guy who is very, you know, basically droid-like after getting that addiction, uh, like addition, and now seeing these other mods and they're very re- rebellious and young teens, it was a very weird disconnect for me. Sure. And one of the things is, what were what were they replacing? Because what was the blue and red fluid that went through her stomach at the end there? I was so confused by what was replaced and how they left anything there. I, that's yeah. Confused. Yeah. It that's was me. <laughs> it was a weird montage sequence that didn't really establish what they were fixing. No. Uh, I will jump in and say, uh, just doing a quick IMDB search, Thundercat is not credited as doing music for the soundtrack for this okay. episode, interestingly enough. Um, Interesting. And I'll be that old fart curmudgeon who goes yeah this isn't my star wars and i'm not digging (laughs) any of the mod stuff at least the way they're pulling it off i think the idea in principle is cool we talked a lot about that last week nate but vader and luke yeah yeah that's that's what i'm saying yeah they are I yeah. would, I would, I would embrace it if it was more that than it is this weird rebellious aesthetic <laughs> choice versus you know yeah. trying to look cool. It just comes off a bit hokey to me. Mm. Yeah, especially because I brought it up before we started as well. How the in the comics when the you see mods or anything like that, there were under the the like a program that the emperor had in place to basically create a replacement for force sensitive individuals through the use of technology and modifications. So mm. it was very interesting to see like, again, go, having that and then all of a sudden seeing this side of the, the mod underworld, it was just, again, very big disconnect but, for me. But I think that this could lead to something more like I'm not going to go deep with it, but I feel like this introduction of this concept of, of that could lead to what you're talking about and us seeing that. And I think that this might be the lower tier of that so that when that comes in it's like oh okay like that's that's a cool sort of 
tie-in. Um, so even just planting the seeds right now and seeing how maybe a younger generation are, are, are using it as a way to amplify themselves where, you know, you pair that with the images of Boba Fett as this, you know, man bounty hunter who's very much of his wits and uh, of his, you know, his mind and, and using that. He fights with a wooden stick now. Exactly. I mean, right? yeah. <laughs> He's so simplified and, and distilled down to what he is. I feel like pairing that, almost juxtaposing that with this mod, it's, it's purposeful in that. It shows, He's trying to right? get away from technology, and these people are literally putting it in their exactly. body, right? So yeah. I think, and then for them to also mirror that with Fennec Shand and have them be such great partners as as shown by this episode, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I would, I, I do think though that the the aspect of the mod as well, it's like you know, there's gonna be there's people out there that originally in the in this world, I, I imagine you know um, modifications to your body was done to help you to heal. It was originally intended mm. for you know fixing people that were in a car accident or what have you and now we have people that do just do it for for leisure and to change it up and to look different um so it's very clear kind of what they're sort of showing here but i really wanted to quickly before we continue on i know we're going long in this section but darcy i, I need you to clear this up for me i thought banthas were herbivores he clearly just feeds that bantha a piece of meat and i was like is that bantha just so hungry that it'll eat p possibly other bantha Wouldn't or they what's be going dead if they were herbivores because there's like they're hmm. probably omnivore i mean okay. you think about it, there's not a lot of plant life sure. on tatooine they're That's probably okay. surviving yeah. off of rodents and small things like that i never thought of it what i've always like my mom watching the episode with her she kept going on about was the fact that why would anyone choose that as a form of transportation they can't run they, they you could walk faster than it and i understand it's a desert but still cruise man you, you just cruise yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to use your legs, right? They like, just they'll use their legs. Conservation of energy. That's what I was yeah. trying to sell her on too, yeah. because it's like <laughs> I never thought about it. You just, just don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get back to the concept of a Bantha's pace as we uh, maybe talk a little bit later. But uh, we pick back up to see Fennec Shand meeting Boba for the first time while coming to the terrifying realization that her whole guts have been modded with droid parts. Uh, he asks her to help her recover his fire spray gunship, uh, and she makes a deal that if, he, if she helps him, uh, then her debt to him would be paid. Um, so just really quick before we continue, we finally got in canon reference to the ship now being changed from Slave 1 to Fire Spray. Uh, now, as we've seen before, and as we've kind of been talking about on this podcast already, Star Wars fans are usually pretty apprehensive to a change like this. Uh, Darcy, what did you think of this name change? I'm okay with it because, again, it's not a name change. It's just they're not calling it the, na the Slave 1 anymore. It's now just the model of ship. Just like right. the Millennium Falcon is a Corellian freighter type thing. Oh, okay. It's something along those lines. Django, I'm completely okay with it. So Django referenced and called it the Fire exactly. Spray, I believe. Is is it in Clone Wars? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he called yeah, he calls yeah. his own ship like that's a canonized ship name for it already. Like that's okay. what the, the class of ships are called. So if we saw another one flying around, we'd say oh, that's a fire spray. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. Because in my mind I felt like he was kind of getting away from the aspect of the Slave One. Well, let me clear this up. I feel like Star Wars is getting away from the name of Slave One so that they can sell toys that don't have the word slave on it. That's fine. I get that. I understand that. Um, but I, it just felt a little... Um, it, feel, it feels a little inconsistent in the sense that, you know, Wookiees are slaves. There's slavers in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, right? right. Like, it just feels... But they're if not... they're wanting to get away from that, but they're, sure. they're not getting away from it. They're the, the bad the only... guys, though. Right. Boba is yeah. trying to be this anti-hero thing, and they're... That's right. And that's what I was... That. 
That's yeah. what I'm thinking. And not only for, for them to change that, I feel like he's wanting to change that image as well. So instead of making sure that the, the ship is known by the name of Slave One, he's just trying to completely get rid of that, which conveniently works for <laughs> for, for Disney. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that's the only way that I can accept it in canon for him to just call it the fire spray. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the idea isn't to completely erase the existence of slavery in the galaxy far, far away, but... Yes. When when you associate with Boba's ship, it's a cool ship. It's one of people's favorites, and so to have the name slave attached to something that is g- generally regarded as being something cool and something that people really love, it just it's a negative connotation to go along with something that's generally positive. So it's just a that's an easy, quick little switch out, and and, and it's a quick move on and. Get over it, you, you sweaty geeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anybody it's gonna, who's it's bothered gonna, by that is, yeah. you know, just... <laughs> it's going to bother some people, but I'm just saying, like, I've, I've come to accept it, and I feel like people should, too, for the reasons that we've kind of just gone over. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to get that out of the way, because I know, I know that's kind of a, a point of contention for some fans in the, the Facebook groups and what have you. Um, so Fennec and Boba use a mini probe droid, similar to the ones we saw Darth Maul use in Episode 1, to survey the palace, uh, and they discover an entrance through the kitchen. And after a brief conversation about how he's changed his ways and his intentions to kill Bib Fortuna, uh, he gives a big hug and a big sloppy kiss to his bantha and sets it free. Uh, and then the two of them sneak into the palace to get the ship back. Uh, we then see the two of them get to the kitchen where they square off against a torture droid and a general grievous wannabe, uh, as well as a suicidal <laughs> lep droid. Uh, what did you guys think of these kitchen droids and this almost um, like Tom and Jerry cartoonish chase scene here? What did you? Did you enjoy? It? I I thought this was very out of place. Like, you right? Know, yeah. At least coming in and, and and being confronted by those two original droids, but I didn't really sure. understand the purposing. I don't know. It was, felt silly, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a definite low point of the episode for me. I mean, again, seeing those droids from from back in the day was a really cool moment, and then they juxtapose that with these little cat and mouse, like you said, or whatever droids, and it's a silly little chase ensues, and it just, it did, it, it, tonally it didn't work for me, it, it just... And it was just to get to that mo- joke, right, yeah, of him killed- holding him up, and I'm Boba Fett, and then he turns himself off, and it's like, that wasn't worth that. No, it wasn't worth it, killed any yeah. momentum that the, the scene sort of had going for it. Fortunately, I think they bounced back pretty quickly, totally. um, but it was just, yeah, a, a few unnecessary moments, for sure. I just, when I think of Boba Fett, I don't think of, I'm gonna get you. Uh, where did you? Oh, where'd you go? Oh, you know, like that's what it felt like. But I, I, you know what? It'll. I, I, I'll say. I keep saying this through all of it. Tomorrow, Morrison. No matter what, I know it's corny. I know it's he just he is a chameleon in this sh- show. Sure. By just being able to adapt with all these different sort of. Uh, I guess pacing changes, right? Because even like even like he stayed in character, even though this felt very out of character for yeah. his character. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I sure. So all power to him. Well, listen, then we we finally get to uh, the fire spray and we get to see Fennec Shand finally kick some ass in this show for like for tick forever. Yeah, Uh, it feels like it took way too long, but we get to see her hand to hand combat and her incredible blaster skills here. Uh, And she also murders a gonk droid, which was which was pretty savage. Is it just me or is she turning out to become more of a skilled warrior than Boba Fett himself? I was gonna say I, I think even later on when they mention the fact that he needs back to tank like that's what he needs more than anything anything else he's at this point in time he's still suffering from injuries that's slowing him okay. down and keeping him from the warrior you know he's you know 
meant that cracked up to be type thing. But it was that was an awesome standout moment for her for sure to take Absolutely. on basically the entire palace worth of guards essentially in their escape there. Yeah, I think this was the highlight for me at least to see Fennec actually kick some ass and to see that badassery just kind of show up uh, in live action. Um, you know, we've seen it a little bit in in in, the, in Mando, um, mm-hmm. but I feel yeah, like in the finale, in the yeah. finale specifically. But like, I really yeah. liked how this kind of gave more breath to her character. I'm excited to see more of her in, in these action scenes. I think it'll be great. Yeah, I mean, we still haven't gotten a lick of sort of backstory or explaining who she is or where she comes from. But the one thing that they did try really hard to set up in The Mandalorian was her prowess as a fighter and as a shooter. Yes. And so, and we really didn't get that through the first few episodes, specifically in that first episode where she sort of really looks like a bit of a chump in any of the fight scenes she's involved in. So, Anytime we get her, you know, sort of kicking ass and taking names, I'm I'm all for it. And so we certainly got that here. And it was finally that moment where it's like you can see why Boba wants her on his side and and why she does have the reputation that she has. Yeah, the best moment she's she's you know she does that sort of flip over the the door as it's closing. She just snipes it, and then the thing opens, and then the door closes, and it was just so well crafted. Uh, even just from how it was shot, uh, definitely a highlight in the episode for sure. Yeah, and and you know, Kevin, you bring up a good point. Like we don't have any backstory to to Fennec's character, but you know, I thought it was interesting when they're you know sitting around the campfire. Um, and, you know, Boba's expressing, you know, what he wants to do and his sort of plans, if you will. You know, she she responds with people like us don't get to decide uh, when we're finished. And she's looking for freedom. She's looking for independence. And I think that's very much something that, you know, Boba is offering her. So in her appearance in this series from Mando to here, she's come off very reserved and, you know, a bit of a mystery and, and very guarded, right? So I feel like if anything, this was the little bit of nugget of something that kind of shows that there is something that is pushing her for for wanting to have this relationship with Boba. Yeah. And I uh, just bring up the backstory. I mean, we've already seen some of her backstory, if you will, if you uh, in the animated Bad, right. uh, Bad Batch. So I'm wondering if they're kind of keeping the two characters almost separate or two timelines separate with like, we'll see more of her backstory if there's a continuation of the Bad Batch because clearly mm-hmm. she had an impact on Omega in yes. the series. Yeah. So maybe that's what she's referring to is she wanted to give up to join her, them but couldn't type thing. I, I don't know. Ooh, I like that. that was, I like that a lot. I like that. It'd be interesting, again, to tie those two series together, which Star Wars likes to do. Cool. Uh, well, this next moment here, um, I think for me – for me, was the highlight of the episode. Uh, you know, we get to see the and and maybe even for me the best moment in this series. Boba Fett in the in the ship, you know, swooping down and straight up brutally murdering the Kintan Striders <laughs> without any remorse. They're sitting there on their speeders. They're listening to the radio. They're having a good Sunday, and he just completely decimates them. Uh, and this is followed by what I feel like a you know another moment of revenge, a very fan servicey moment. Uh, where we get to see them return to the Sarlacc pit and take it out with a freaking seismic bomb, you guys. So obviously, you know, these two scenes were very satisfying for fans of this series and then fans of seri- of Star Wars in general. So what did you guys think of these sort of epic moments? Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal that he would just fly in there and just decimate them. But, you know, like you can see, like, there's just sort of cold nature of, of just how he stares them down and blasts them, like... 
you know, again, the the loss of 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 the Tuscan tribe, and how yeah. quick it was. I know that that's sort of a well out of nowhere they're just gone. But if you think about it, that that sort of punch actually kind of worked, right? Because now it's giving motive. Like there was such a build up to these characters and and them being important, but really it it, it was about that sort of companionship that was formed and how he's going to carry that forward. Uh, through through the next next part of his his journey um so seeing him in there you know in the ship in the fire spray you know tearing him down it's very cathartic for him obviously right mm-hmm. so yeah i mean they, these these bikers murdered women and children that that yeah. had become family for him and so yeah. i i i i think we, so much uh, has been mentioned by boba himself about how much he learned and how much he's changed from his experience but that was the old boba getting that one piece of revenge there and being like i before i can truly move on i need to get this out of my you know out of my system and personally i that's what i want from boba fett at least especially as a as a crime lord i want to see yes it's nice to see these softer moments it's nice to see this character growth beyond just a suit of armor but seeing him in this moment and tomorrow morrison again kudos to his acting his face while he's just making those shots i was like that is the dark gritty boba fett crime lord that i want i i I really wanted by this fourth episode to be with a boba fett that felt like he could go off that felt like he could he could you know shoot some in the head just for looking at him funny but but we haven't quite gotten that and I get that I get that we need to see that softer side as well and I also get that this is Star Wars and Star Wars isn't going to go necessarily that far but this was that darker side that I feel like we need to see a little bit more of for especially for for the The rest of Mos Espa yeah and the rest of Mos Espa to take him seriously for sure right now they don't and if they hear about that that Kintan Strider thing, or they see him riding around uh, on the back of a Rancor, that's going to be those moments that are going to be like, holy crap, we got to be afraid of this guy. You know what I'm saying? Although, to be fair, no one's going to know that the fire spray did it because he's still remember it's good to stay dead type thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why he was doing the right. repairs. Right. I thought that was a really cool throwaway. It's like he was using his, his presumed death to his advantage to gain, you know, information and and figure out where what the next step in his plan was going forward. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And also yeah. just talking about the diversity of uh, Tamora Morrison's acting on the thing. I thought it feel like this this whole show is almost like a like a, a, his audition to be all the other clones in the Star Wars yes. universe. He's yeah. recently come out as saying he'd be open to be playing any of the other other clones that we know are out there. And seeing him again go through all these different you know, faces of Boba. It's like I, I buy it. I'd watch more. For I'd sure, love to see Captain Rex live action or yeah. something like that. And have yeah. to more bring it to life. I would love to see him show up as Captain Rex in the Ahsoka series. I think that would be yeah, right. That'd, that'd be, be awesome amazing. to see him return really there. Cool. Be so good. Oh, yeah. I love that idea. I love that idea. Now, speaking of sort of ideas that would really serve the fans, uh, we did get that Sarlacc scene, and I just thought that was so satisfying with Fennec saying fire in the hole is so badass and then just the seismic boom rippling through the sands of Tatooine it was just it was a perfect way to end that creature's life which I know sounds a little bit brutal and and obviously you know you've got you've got Boba being a little bit more creature conscious but he was they were in a bind but I just felt like we talked in the first episode how fans didn't feel like there was enough time spent with the Sarlacc pit and it was it was kind of like really quick and this was a perfect payoff for it it was the best way they could have done that and it's cool I think it's actually cooler that she was the one to sort of cause that to happen because it just really cements her relationship with Boba for her to be the one to take out that thing that was was part of so important to his backstory the one thing I was confused by is that he he woke up when the Jawas were taking his armor off 
So, like, does he not remember that? He even had in his, form, have, his little, like, trip, trippy dream. He saw Jawa's eyes in the tree. Yeah. You think that that's good? Internally, he knows the Jawas have the armor. That's just why, I, that's where I was confused. I, I, I'd have to assume, I'd have to assume that he was out of it. I, I, cheap, I, it was cheap. It was a cheap way to get him in front of the Sarlacc pit again. Like, that's okay. We can admit that. I just, to, to Darcy's point, how much cooler would it have been if he was just like, there's some business I need to attend to, and I just I need to. I was in this thing for way too long. Watch, make sure to, it's like actually dead. I would, and then, I would no, buy and, that. And, and if you want to turn it around and make it more of like a he's being a good person, Boba Fett, it's because he doesn't want anyone else to fall in. Fall in. You know <laughs> what I mean? Suffering. <laughs> it's suffering because it's just got a gaping, burnt yeah. flesh wound in the sure. side of its stomach or whatever, sure. like, or that too. You could have yeah. taken it so many ways but, other than I thought my armor was in there when it clearly sure. wasn't Boba. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's keep going here. So after we see Fennec and Boba, they share a conversation where they sort of seal their alliance near the fire. And uh, we see uh, the moment yet again where Boba assassinates Bib Fortuna. Uh, and with that, fl- with that, all the flashbacks are seemingly over because the assistant droid comes out and saying, congratulations, Master Fett. We're not going to do flashbacks anymore. No, no. He says, uh, you're, you are completely healed. Uh, and Fennec Shand assures Boba that, well, there is no sign of the mayor that the mods, the, the, you know, those kids are out there and they're on the street and they're going to report back to him if they see anything. Uh, unconvinced, he says he still needs to show his face on the streets saying that power hates a vacuum. Uh, so, guys, with with... You know, what do you think of just him? He's just been healed. Hallelujah, he's been healed. Uh, do you think the flashbacks are done for this series, Kevin? Uh, I, I hope so. I think we've gotten all that we really can get out of them. Um, I enjoyed them more than I know some people have, uh, mm-hmm. specifically over the first two episodes with the Tuscans. Uh, but now we're all caught up. We know how he got exactly to where he got. We saw in The Mandalorian how he got his armor, so that mystery is taken care of. We have, we have literally solved it all. Let's just be moving forward, ever moving forward with the show now, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with Justin in that like the flashback, his sole purpose was to provide motive towards Boba's change in terms of his, his outlook on ruling Tatooine. So like I feel like, again, they've served their purpose. We know why. We know how he got his ship back. They've answered all the questions that Kevin was saying. So yeah, I thought, I think we're done in that regard. And moving forward will just be his rise to power, hopefully, uh, as a crime lord. Yeah, I just, I think so far for a show about mysterious crime lords and treachery that they really aren't being subtle with this with this line, especially. It's just like they might as well just look at the camera and say there aren't any flashbacks. But um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm happy again, like you guys said, like we're going to move forward with the Crime Lord story, which is the one that I'm personally more invested in than than seeing some of the stuff that we kind of already knew but just hadn't seen. And I feel like that's another thing, too, with with a lot of the backstories, like some of it's new with this, with the the Tuscans and everything like that. That's awesome. But some of it was just kind of like. We 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 know this. We we didn't necessarily need to see it, even though it was cool. Um, okay, so you know, let's talk about this next scene. We see Kersantin. He's just sitting at the table. He's getting drunk, stewing at the fact that the Trandoshans over there—they're just free. They're gambling away their money that they probably earned selling pelts of Kersantin's family. Uh, and after not being able to take it anymore, uh, he just starts beating the crap out of these guys. He holds one up and is about to do what all good Wookiees do in Star Wars, which is uh, rip the guy's arm off. Uh, and uh, just before he gets to, Garza Whip steps in and tries 
to talk him down, reminding him that, you know, what what was once celebrated in the bloodlust of the arena is now seen as horror and cruelty. Uh, he looks at her for a beat, and then uh, he just lets out a big roar, rips this guy's arm off anyways, and uh, and pays his debt and, and leaves the sanctuary. And then Boba Fett offers him a job. So uh, we see Chris Anton back after only leaving literally in the last episode. Did you guys expect to see him back so soon? And, and what did you think of his display of martial prowess, Justin? Uh, I, I love that we got his uh, his origin story pretty much mm. through that moment, uh, you know, understanding pain or trauma that he comes from uh, with, with the Trandoshans in, in his history. So, and then obviously uh, with Garza Fwip, you know, kind of rounding out those details and talking about, you know, the sort of slavery that they, they attributed to, the forcing them to fight. And it's nice that we get all those details without having to necessarily see it or, you know, have to do any flashbacks to relive those moments and we can move forward. But obviously, you know, by the end of it, seeing him rip that arm off means that he is he is the way he is because of them, because of his time with the Trandoshans. Well, yeah, because especially he chose to go back into the gladiator pits. That's one of his Absolutely. defining yeah. moments of him is he chose to fight. After being ruining his freedom, he's like, "No, I'm going to go back there because that's what I—the only thing I can do." Right, so sure. I, I think that, again, ripping off the arm shows that as well. Cool. Well, and we've we've heard so much about Wookies ripping off people's arms when they're angry. This is the first time we've officially seen it now. I think, right? At least in the in in live action, I'm right? Sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there we go. You know, worth it for that. 30, Forty years in the making. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's he's definitely not to be messed with. Um, I, I did like that she wasn't able to talk him down. But I also want to just shout out, like, Garza Fwip in general for walking up to Black Kersantan, putting her hands on him and saying, you need to calm down. Like, that's, that's a power move. I think she's going to be a much more bigger threat than I think, you know, she's sort of letting on to even right now. And we kind of thought that when we, when we first met her, but uh, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with Kersantan, but I will say him, him leaving, I guess it was just so he could, we could get this scene. I, I don't know. I, it just felt a little unneeded, as I said in our last episode for him to have to just run off only for Boba Fett to be like, do you want a job? Literally the next episode. And again, it's, it's what we talked about in Bad Batch of them sort of, you know, putting something up that might be really interesting and then just being like, nah, never mind. Well, I wasn't expecting him to go far. You consider the fact that, like, he was basically left with the fur on his back after the, the huts were just like, yeah, we don't need him anymore. And I'm assuming they got him to that planet, so he has no ship of his own. Yeah. So mm. he's kind of stuck on Tatooine until he finds his way off. So I'm not surprised that they ran into him so soon. Yeah. So I feel like that was more just a, a, a fortuitous circumstance that happened much sooner than I was anticipating. But we kind of talked about, Kevin, like the idea that, the, you know, Bo, maybe it was like, oh, maybe Boba Fett is is letting him go because, you know, that would that would cause him to want to help him out in the future. Like that would, you know, he would sort of owe him in a way. And just the idea that he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll take a job. It doesn't it's not as glamorized or as romanticized as we sort of thought it would be. Yeah, I definitely think we hashed out some better strategies to get to where they end up than they ended up doing. But either way, I mean. Boba's building a, a pretty formidable little team. So yeah, however we get cool. there, I'll take the end result, even though I do think we had some better suggestions for how they could have got there. <laughs> for sure. Um, so then uh, from that point, we we then see Boba and uh, and Fennec, and they're, they're meeting with all the leaders of the crime lords. Sorry, all the crime lord leaders of the crime families of Mos Espa. Uh, and he asks them to join him in the oncoming fight against the Pikes, 
who seem to take over the planet as part of their spice trade operations. Unconvinced, even after uh, a huge jump scare, which did you did you guys jump when when the Rancor threw his claws up? Because I certainly I got shook. Um, and uh, all the crime lords sort of stand up and, and freak out. But you know, even then. They still don't fully agree with them. Instead, they choose to meet him halfway. Uh, and while they won't join him in his fight, they accept his agreement that they will remain neutral if the Pike Syndicate approaches them to betray him. So are we really supposed to believe that and trust that they're going to keep their word? Or is this really just setting up for chaos for Boba and Fennec? I mean, with the look that Boba and Fennec shared at the end there, definitely they're like, okay, we can't trust any of these guys. But uh, <laughs> yeah. At least we know that now going forward. I feel like that was the, the, the outcome of that little conversation for them. Right. Yeah, well, that, I, I think the conversation that they, were, that they have at the end about buying some muscle also in, implicates that you know, they, they can't trust those people, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like if, if you've got the Pike Syndicate and whatever other possible syndicates, uh, you know, kind of coming up to you and saying, hey, we're going to kill you and all these people. We have more power than you if you don't join us. Like, obviously, they're going to join. Like, they're not they're not that loyal to to Boba well, just because he's new. A he's new was there. And he's yeah, new. exactly. Yeah. He's new. And he's new to the game. And, you know, the Pikes obviously have some strength, some money and some pull. Right. So I don't know. You know, you're not going to bite from the hand that feeds you, right? So, yeah, I guess. Um, well, that, oh, sorry, go ahead. This just feels like a missed opportunity, in my opinion. I mean, I know the whole idea is that we're supposed to be getting a softer, more um, patient Boba Fett, but he could have at least dropped the, the, the dog-faced green jerk into the pit and to, to <laughs> sure. set an example for the rest of them, you know. But for him to just be like, okay, it's fine. You don't have to you don't have to do anything here. That's okay. No big deal. It's, Kevin, it's, you would want soft. him to drop drop he would you would want him to drop your fellow Clatoonian into <laughs> I, the, the whole table worth of them should have gone in, frankly. If I was if I was playing Boba there, I yeah, would have just yeah. opened up the whole dinner table into that pit. Yeah. <laughs> I just I also really like the scene too because it's it shows how he's different from Boba and, and Bib Fortuna in that he's meeting with all these other guys on the same level like he there and they're all sitting on that within reach of the rancor too so it goes to show he's like yeah we're we're all equals here so let's talk about it as equals as opposed to being like forcing his presence onto them from the throne I thought that was I like cool. that Darcy but like if again and this is where I need to stop setting the expectations for TV at Game of Thrones. Because literally, dude, if if he was if he if he just pressed a button and his chair moved back and then the whole thing fell down and all of the crime lords of Mos Espa were devoured and eaten by a rancor, are you kidding me? Like that would have just been the moment that would have just elevated this series so high. Like that's again, I know I'm getting into fan fictiony, you know, the the people that I'm literally saying we shouldn't be like in in the world of Star Wars fans, but still, like. Wow. Again, I agree with you, Kevin. Missed opportunity, dude. Yeah, would have been, would have been sick. Yeah, let's let's go. I want <laughs> death and destruction everywhere. <laughs> Please. Um, well, that brings us to the end of this episode and our prediction segment that we call "Spill That Boba Tea," where we spill the tea and give you our thoughts on what we can see next from this show and the Star Wars universe. So, the question I have for you, fine gentlemen, I want you to spill this tea. Who do you think Fennec is referring to at the end of the episode as far as muscle is concerned? Because just as, as you know, she says in that last line, she's like, you know, if you know where to, oh, credits can buy muscle if you know where to look. You know, we hear the Mandalorian bass clarinet theme 
come through. Uh, Justin, why don't you spill the tea first, dude? Who is she she talking about? I think it's obvious, Nathaniel. Is it? Yes. Is it? I feel like like it it is obviously hinting at at Mando potentially coming in to just lend a hand here. Mm. Um, It does kind of say something if they have to lean on bringing Mando in to this series to kind of help elevate the the moment. for for boba and if boba can't really carry the series if you will um but i do think that what they're hinting at is you know a team coming together totally totally i think you you did a little bit of a slip up there but i would love if lando also (laughs) was because she talks about you know money buying muscle like who's gonna you know i i feel like din jaren isn't necessarily the kind of guy like I know he owes them. He he probably would would help them more out of morality and 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 you know a feeling of debt than than you know sort of for credits. But like someone like him, or I even think like someone like Migs Mayfeld, you know, get Bill Burr back in here. I think would be so cool, and I think he'd totally do it for the credits. I was just wondering, I was wondering if it's going to be more bounty hunters. I mean, we had that whole lineup from you know Boba's first appearance. So well, who's to say they can't bring in you know Dengar and IG eighty eight? Oh. We've already seen one IG eleven. So I mean, yeah. getting eighty eight and the full killer robot that he is, I think would be really neat. I mean, that's the where the my where I went. Despite that very obvious Mando uh, undertones, I'm like I'm thinking bounty hunters. That's that's who they trust basically <laughs> yeah man i mean like fennec shand speaking of bounty hunters fennec shand already has a sort of not the best relationship but a relationship with cad bane you know could we get cad bane in live action obviously the show hasn't shown you know shown any fear when it comes to the sort of prosthetic faces on the the clatoonians and the trandoshans and stuff like that so could we see that that beautiful cowboy <laughs> in this series i don't know I'd I don't love know. to see it. I think that'd be yeah. awesome. I'd be weird yeah. to see him on the same side as Boba if uh, that right. you know the dense origin is to be believed. Oh, true, true. I mean, they'd have to. Ma- they'd have to. Maybe Boba would be the bigger, the bigger bounty hunter in this case. Mm-hmm. Kevin, how about yourself? Do you got any tea to spill on us? Uh, I don't know if I have anything specifically. It was it was that Mando music that really got you thinking. I mean, and if it isn't Din Djarin himself, is it the the group of uh, other Mandalorians that we see throughout uh, that series that sort of come and. And, you know, they need some work and, and something to do, I'm sure, after everything that's gone on there. So, I mean, maybe it's them, but I like the idea, uh, the more I hear it, of uh, it being a group of bounty hunters, including maybe some familiar faces uh, that we that we would have seen in, in Empire Strikes Back. It would be so cool to see, to see uh, yeah, even Dengar and, like, who they would get to cast. And, like, I already saw pictures online floating around, and it's not going to happen. It's just a dream because we've all watched Spider-Man recently. But Willem Dafoe as Cad Bane would be phenomenal. Uh, be he's so already good. pretty much got the same face. <laughs> no offense to Willem Dafoe, but he kind of has the same structure. Um, oh. And he would just do so well in that role. I don't know, man. Um, so, so cool. I'm so excited to sort of... I, I, that's the thing. I'm excited to see what's going to happen next, but they don't. They keep not giving it to me for some reason. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but guys, let's get to our final thoughts and score for this episode, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five dead Kintan Striders. Kevin, you're going to kick it off for us, bud. Uh, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, you know, given how disappointing uh, and just almost overall bad last week's episode was, it yeah. wasn't going to be hard for this one to be better. And I do think that, you know, we mentioned several 
uh, aspects of the episode that really still didn't work for us. There were yeah. enough redeeming moments, uh, and I think finally a positive step forward to, towards sort of getting that crime show. We keep saying it every week. This is the this is the episode where we're going to move into that more crime-based sort of plot. But I really do think there's no choice but to get into that now. And so I am excited to see where we go next week. It's, it's tough to keep relying on the idea that next week will make me like this week's episode better. But I really do think it will be a case of finally getting to what we've all wanted to see from the show, even if it took a little longer than uh, we maybe hoped. And so I, I still have hope that the show can redeem itself over the final three episodes. And so with that, um, I'm going to give this episode a 3.2 out of 5 Dead Content Riders. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to jump in and go next here. This, I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. Again, us sort of seeing the series, and I, I've, again, going back and rewatching episode one and episode two of the show and they are a bit better. Like I think when you're sitting there and you're not anticipating the the next moment, for some reason it works better. I don't know if that's the best way to to have to enjoy a show, but I think this episode would have actually played better than what we got for episode one. I think I think this would have been a really cool way to sort of kick the series off. Um, obviously, it's still important for us to see him stripped of his technology and understanding the values of like the tribe and stuff like that, but. I just feel like they could have they could have done some rearranging here. Um, while it was nice to see you know the moments in between the stories that we know and the episodes, you know, it had great moments of revenge. The scene taking out the Kintan Striders or killing the Sarlacc, but this episode just didn't it just didn't do anything too significant, and it just feels like the whole series so far is moving at a Bantha's pace. At times, while it feels like it's moving too slow, at the same time. They also do these things that narratively they move forward with things and then just like cut them off or stop them short. And it just feels really easy and rushed at times. And it, it, it feels like it doesn't slow down at the right points, but it doesn't speed up. I guess I'm just saying pacing is my problem <laughs> with this series so far. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's just taking way too long to get to the most interesting parts of this story when it shouldn't. And, and I don't know. I, I, again, really cool moments. Cool Awesome moments for fans of this series and fans of Star Wars, but subpar pace and subpar focus for this episode. I'm going to go with a slightly higher score than last week. 3.5 dead Kintan Striders out of 5. Darcy, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, same as you guys. After last week, I did enjoy it a lot more. Uh, the, the mods' presence in their chase in the last one really took me out of it. And again, kind of did the same with this one with their weird uh, tattoo parlor vibe that, again... Felt like I fit more on Coruscant than Tatooine. So it's not a question mm -hmm. of it not being Star Warsy. It just wasn't the right location of Star Wars for that sure, sure. scene to be taking place. Uh, and then going forward too, again, seeing Fennec fight was awesome, stuff like that. But the whole her whole break in sequence and taking Boba through it, I felt was uh, again to take one of Justin's uh, earlier phrases, very spy kidsy, and with all her little gadgets yeah. and tools. So some of it was very cheesy in that regard. But again, I feel like a lot of important moments have been told in the story. But they, like Nate says, they end on a very like low moment and not a lot to really want you to come back. I mean, I am interested to see where the story goes, but it wasn't anything from what the show did. It was more for me thinking of what they said earlier in the episode, like who who are we going to see and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm on the same page as Nate. Uh, I'll be giving this one a three point five out of five. Kintan uh, Striders, dead Kintan mm -hmm. Striders. That's yeah, that they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, I enjoyed this episode more than last week. Uh, it felt like it mattered more. 
last week's mm. episode felt like it didn't even need to be there uh, if it was only to introduce a couple things. This episode does have some really great moments, you know, a heist to get the, f- the fire spray, tearing down that biker gang with some sweet revenge, and also getting getting back at, at the Sarlacc. Um, you know, fantastic acting from, from Tamora Morrison again. I think he's doing the best that he can here. Um, loved seeing uh, Ming-Na Wen, like, actually bring some action, right? Like, I think she, she, she did a really good job. But as you guys have said, much like the other episodes, this episode does also suffer from from pacing issues. It gives us some things, but doesn't give us much. Um, and, you know, I feel like this is an episode that we've been wanting, kind of, you know, pushing through the remaining backstory, you know, so that we can kind of get to what is, I, I feel like is, is the point, uh, which is to revolve around Boba taking all that he's learned to create new ties and strengthen his stance as a player amongst this, these crime families and these houses. Uh, but, Really, I feel like we're also starting to see hints of a transition of his character where it's balancing both, you know, being healed and, you know, this profound new outlook on life with his past brutal nature. And I feel like we got hints of that in sort of his approach of, you know, tearing down uh, that biker gang. Um you know, as we potentially leave these past stories, you know, plot progression is what we need in these remaining yeah. episodes to make it worth something. And, you know, as Nate said, this thing has been moving at a bantha pace. Um, but I do feel like there's stuff to look forward to. Uh, you know, hearing those whistles uh, of the Mando theme serves as a as a really cool intro of just a team that c- that could be. And, and the fact that he will form his own tribe. Uh, I like what they're hinting at. But yeah, I'm going to be giving this the exact same score as Nate and Darcy, uh, 3.5 out of 5 dead Kintan Striders. And do we think that this is this is their way of sort of saying this is how we move into Mando season three? You know, obviously, if if we do get Din Djarin in the in the episode next or the episode after that or maybe the finale or whatever, you know, is this sort of them sort of uh, saying we're not going to do a Boba Fett, you know, season two we're just going to now move forward with that story of of the Mandalorian which again just it to me it sort of feels like it takes away from Boba Fett. I don't know. I don't know. I want to see them team up, but at the same time, I also don't want them to make this all about getting to Mando season 3. I don't know. I don't know. I just think what it does uh in terms of helping Mando season 3 is separating uh, Din from the child and that's how we sort of get that whereas mm, if absolutely. they just started season three with him without the child would the show have the same impact would it register the same with audiences but if we transition from this show to that one I think that only helps the Mandalorian going forward especially if we see him like he comes in to help and stuff like that but at the end of it he's like you've made up this whole thing about how tribes are important. I got to go find my own type thing. And that's where it leads off to season three about him wanting to reunite with the child, potentially, if that's the way they want to spin it. <laughs> yeah, again, I think I think you're right. Separating him from the, the child and, and sort of from his need to be with the child, at least for a little bit. Obviously, there's going to be moments where he's going to miss. He's going to miss that little guy. Like, he's going to look down. He's going to see the... Well, no, I guess he's not going to look down on his ship because there's no more ship left. No, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be... He's going to... He's still going to miss him somehow. He's going to find the little rock or the little pebble or something. I don't remember what he had. Anyways, um, 
let's let's end this episode here that is it for this week's episode of watch club we hope you enjoyed it and if you did make sure to subscribe it was the little knob by the way it was a little knob off the ship that's what was in his hand don't write in hate comments uh make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you haven't already and if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in watch club well let me shoot first over to our resident junkyard jawa to tell you how you can reach us uh, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. That's right. Send a, a bunch of those mini probe droids all to all to Justin's house. I know he loves that sort of thing. He's, in, he's into that. <laughs> Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows out now, as well as movies. Uh, out now, including our Geek Back episode where we looked back at 2021 and discussed what we're most looking forward to this year. And we've also started our weekly This Week in Geek episodes uh, where we cover the latest news and trailers from around the Geekiverse every single Wednesday. With this last one, we talked about that Moon Knight trailer. Darcy, really quick impressions before we wrap up the episode. Super stoked. One of my favorite comic book characters, so I can't wait to see the uh, the story I tell because it looks like it's me crazy. <laughs> Dude, it's going to be so crazy. Uh, Well, that is it for Watch Club. Justin, Kevin, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, don't Don't fret. fret. Boba Fett.